This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 66. Echo Charles with me. Dave Burke also here. Guest appearance. We just got done recording a podcast, so you figured you might as well stay in the seat. Hang out. Hang out a little bit longer. <laughs> just stay here long enough to get caught in traffic on the way home. <laughs> no fact. Yeah, that's what you get from moving to Carlsbad. <laughs> You say you're going to move to San Diego, you move to Carlsbad. <laughs> I know. You got issues. Uh, I, 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 what I want to do is put myself on report today. Okay. Put myself on report. Because I had something take place that normally doesn't happen to me. Normally I'm pretty good. But the fact that this went on for as long as it did, I have to like reveal and and take ownership of the situation. So I don't want to make it too crazy. But here's the deal. So in my in at our gym, Victory MMA, I have a locker. We all the instructors, we have lockers. I actually have two of them, top and bottom. So I got like one locker thing. They're pretty big lockers. They're not like a little tiny school locker, but it's where I keep all my jiu-jitsu gear, you know, t-shirts, knee pads, shorts, whatever, headgear if you need it, you know, geese. So all this stuff. My top the, the top locker is the one I usually use, so I don't have to bend down and like get on my knee, you know, super comfort. Sure, brutal. But there's some items that mm, you're not using all the time, and so I bought for my top locker years ago. I bought a little shelving unit from Home Depot, which is three minutes from here. It's probably ten years ago, mm-hmm. I bought a little shelving unit for my top locker. Maybe eight years ago, went build it. All of a sudden, it saves so much space. It's great. Mm. About three years ago, I bought another shelving unit for my bottom, my bottom locker. And it sat in the bottom locker, the shelving unit, unassembled. Just sat in the bottom locker for three years. And I didn't, didn't follow through and carry out actually building this shelving unit for the bottom locker. Just so everything would be squared away and everything would be organized. Just, just so, just, just so everything could be squared away and everything could be organized, mm. which is so nice in life. Yeah. So for the past three years, I've just had the top one kind of squared away, but not really because there's stuff that need to be moved to the bottom one, but I didn't because it was kind of cluttered already because I didn't have a shelf in there. Yeah. And I just dealt with it. And you know, it's probably about a 20 minute job. Mm-hmm. Right, and I knew that in my head because I've done it before. It's gonna take me 20 minutes to build out this bottom shelf for my bottom locker. For three years, I didn't do it. For three, I could have come in 20 minutes early. Yeah. And you know what, it actually would save you about probably one to two minutes every day because you gotta kind of jam stuff in there a little yeah. bit to get it locked. Yeah. You know, the top locker, I'm only using the top one, so, but now I gotta like push something back in or something kind of slips out. So it's kind of a pain. And finally, the other day, I got done rolling at six Mm o'clock at night and I'm getting ready to go home. And my daughter was teaching class and she's like, sees me and she's like, hey dad, can we roll? And I go, well, I'm heading home. She's like, oh, come on, I'm heading. She was heading back to college soon. I said, okay, what time are you done with class? She goes, 6.30. So I have a half an hour to kill. So I'm like, oh, I roll in there and I just get to it. And I get it done in 18 minutes. And th- these two lockers became 10 times more squared away. 
10 times, mm-hmm. maybe 12 times more squared away. Yeah. Hell yeah. And every time I've come into the gym since that time, which has now been like a month, every time I've come in, I've had like a sense of relief and satisfaction. Yeah. I didn't do it though. Why the, didn't The you thing do that's weird is I am not a procrastinator, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know there's times when I procrastinate, it's like, oh, I got squat day. Sometimes I'll be like stretch for an extra 15 yeah, minutes yeah. and I know it's happening yeah. and I actually will build that into my schedule a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But know. I'm not I'm not a person that goes, oh, maybe not now, you know. I don't really do that. And here's something that I did it for three years. Yeah. Three years of pathetic procrastination to do a task. Part of it was because the, let's face it, a minute a day, a minute of inconvenience, I just was like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. And it's pathetic. My point in saying this is, what is going on in your life that could take a 15, a 20 minute investment, or maybe it's a one day investment, or maybe, you know, because sometimes that stuff happens too. You got something at your house. You're like, hey, if I, if I pull down this fence and install a better gate, I can get in and out of it with the groceries and it's gonna make my life easier for forever. Yeah. But it's gonna take eight hours for me to pull down this old gate and put up a new one. Yep. And you just hold off, hold off, hold off. It reminds me, unfortunately, in Iraq, like I went to a, we, we hit a target in Iraq and the place we went into is like, you know, this family's house and it was just all jacked up and the 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 shit trench was right next to the sink where they prep f- food. Yeah. And I was like, eh, if I lived here, I would start fixing this right now. Yeah. If I moved in there, I would immediately start fixing this. When we would go and take over like a building to go live in, in Iraq, we would immediately start fixing stuff. Like immediately, like oh, we can, put, I can put this over here. I can, I can, I can build a little thing. I can build a desk. I built desks for myself. Built beds for my, everyone. Did this. Mm. You just immediately start improving stuff. So here I was for three years not improving my situation, and it reminded me that that's common. It can be very common, mm-hmm. and it reminded me not to let it happen again. So I wanted to put myself on report yeah. in order to free up the brains and lives of everyone. <laughs> yeah, bro, that's real. I mean, I, I was about to say, hey, don't be too hard on yourself, but I'm not gonna say that, because hey, do what you did. You sound like you solved your little problem there. But it's like, I figured it out. I figured what, okay, as you could probably imagine, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> Very common for me. One was like, um, you know how like in your kitchen you have cupboards, right? Yeah. Some are up top, some are down low. Mm-hmm. Usually down low, well, in my case, there's like pots and stuff okay. down there, right? So I had this one where kind of what do you call the hinge yep. was like off, like the screw like came oh, out yeah, of the yeah, thing. Yeah. Not fully, just, you know how there's two hinges? is yeah. one top, one. It was on the top. Mm-hmm. So you could open it a little bit, but if you open it all the way, like the door will like fall all the way off. And you kind of know that, right? <laughs> but if all you got to do is open it and just sort of hold it there. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? As you grab the pots yeah. and stuff, you close it, you're good to go. So, But it's kind of a pain in the ass to hold it. But once you're done, this is why. This is why, same thing with you. 
bro, you're not thinking about that all day. Yeah. Bro, I grab pots one time a day. That's Maybe. True. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like you, 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 whatever. And you go roll. You don't think about that thing. So you're like, whatever. That's a good point. Even though every single encounter with it, it's yeah. like that little pain in the ass, that little pain in the ass. And it's a spectrum. Certain things are, you know, play a bigger role in your day for sure. But that's what I was feeling. I was like, whatever. And then I literally forget about it. Then one day I was just like, man, for a while, I don't even know why I did it. But I was like, all right. And I went and grabbed another screw, took out the old yeah. one, made another Turkey hole. three and then, minutes. Yeah, literally like three minutes. <laughs> and just like you, every time I go to get the pots, I'm like, oh, this is so luxurious. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I don't know if it saved me time necessarily, but effort. I'll tell you, mental energy. But it's like we have this <laughs> mental like momentum. That's why. Because we're like, hey, if I'm going to grab some pots or you're going to go roll jujitsu, you're thinking about training. Yep. You're not thinking about putting together a shelf, yep. a shelving And then you unit. get done rolling, and I get get in there, and I'm like, well, I'm going to go. Yeah, time to go home. Get, yeah. get home, get food, get start working, yeah. whatever. Exactly right. You don't want to stop that momentum and then f- put together a Ikea shelving unit. Yeah. Bruh, it's not time for that right now. Some other time. But the thing is, it never works like that. You yeah. never wake up and be like, you know what? Today, I'm going to put together that shelving, you know, the thing that inconvenienced you for like one minute. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you got to kind of, like how you said, you got to consciously check yourself. Yeah. Understanding and appreciating the improvement in your life yep. is important. It's important. Here's some, here's some, I, I, I thought of three while you're exp- uh, explaining. Three that I. Three what? Other scenarios. Oh gosh, this is like a <laughs> lifestyle for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Dave, do you even have one scenario or are you just on it? No, I'm 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 thinking more uh, generically on why I'm what I'm willing to procrastinate about and what I'm not. Okay. And I guess partially to come to your defense a little bit, if there's something that needs to get done that impacts like the life of my wife specifically and to a large degree my kids, and I try to balance that a little bit, that stuff just gets done. Mm. It just gets done and, and and I don't do it because I like think I'm a great husband or a great dad but I have this sense of like dude I got to get that thing done if it's something that solely benefits me and I can't really draw the connection I am I will sit on things just like suck it as up. super random as it sounds I have a towel bar in the bathroom of the office that I use that has been off the hook <laughs> of the <laughs> wall and the towel just sits on the on my uh, mm-hmm. counter the, the bathroom counter yeah my daughter came in like four days ago the towel bar had pulled off from the hinge of the wall and she came into my office. I was working. I, I wasn't like with a client, but I was working. And she's like, hey, this thing broke. And I'm like, I went downstairs, got the screwdriver, got the drill, got the new anchors. And like, you know, 17 minutes later, or whatever, five minutes later, my thing is still just sitting on my my kitchen or my bathroom counter. I, yeah. I don't know when I'm going to do it, even though I should. Yeah. So I rationalize it by going, oh, it doesn't help anybody else. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So you could rationalize your words like, ah, it's just for me, it's not really putting me out much, right? But it's kind of like, what if every time like I saw you, not when we were talking, but when we weren't talking, I'd like jab you in your rib or something. And it's like, hey, like whatever, it doesn't, but if the day I stop jabbing you, bro, you're going to feel a lot better. I'll tell you that right 100%. now. 100%. It's true. Throwing things away. A lot of people procrastinate because, you know, maybe you got to cut it up. You got to break it down. It's, a, you know, it's a five minute job. Uh to throw this thing away, but once you throw it away, it'll be gone. Then you can park. What kind car. of things are you hoarding, by the way? Stuff in the garage, with, which brings me to number two. So, like a lot of times, you know, you put, you buy something or dude, something I mean, old. But while I'm while I'm up here, just just. 
put myself on report. I got jujitsu t-shirts in boxes, yeah. like from different tournaments yeah. since the mid nineties, early nineties, dude. No, mid nineties. Yeah. When I started jujitsu. I feel like clothes is a big one too. Just clothing items that you never and it's just taking up space yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that that seems like a thing. That seems Okay. So tough. sorry for interrupting. The garage. Is just where, in general? Yes, because you know how like you, you buy something being, like keeping it clean or just what? Okay, so let's say you buy a I don't know freaking floor fan or okay. something. I don't yeah. know. I just thought of that. And then let's say you don't have any use for it yeah, anymore. It gets cold out or whatever, you know. And you're like, oh man, where am I gonna put this thing? Is the ice or right in the middle of this room or whatever? Someone put it in the garage. That's a common place to put it. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And then maybe next month you bought a, I don't know, like a big thing. What do I have? What do I have? I have this, you know those cage shelves? They're like shelves, yeah, but they're yeah. cages. But those so, are meant for your garage. No. So this was meant for my old office area. Oh, okay. And then, you know, when I kind of switched everything around, I had no use for them. So I put them in the garage. You should do a tour of your office yeah. thing. Where you got like neon, what are those called? Those lights and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Nonetheless, a lot of stuff is in the garage. It, a lot of stuff winds up in the garage is what I'm saying. But you got to throw that stuff away or give it to Goodwill or whatever. Like all these things take like, I don't know, three, four, five, six, ten minutes. So you just do it later. See what I'm saying? All of a sudden you can't park in your garage. You got to park outside now. Your paint okay. job getting all, all faded. I'm saying your life can slowly and yep. subtly get worse. Yep. Yep. What's number three? Uh, responding to email. I guess that's like an everyday work thing, right? You know, the kind of email that you got to respond to, but you're like, fuck, I got to think about like three, four things or figure out like three, four things and look up one other one and then respond to it. Mm -hmm. So it is for me anyway. But yeah, that's the other one. Check. I'm just saying so. But if you have that attitude where you're like, okay, automatic, it's almost like a trigger, right? Where it's like, man, I don't feel like doing this right now. Think, will this take more than, what, what, what do you think the limit is? 15 minutes? 15 20? minutes. Yeah, you yeah. do it automatically, hundred yeah. percent. There's some, there's some, some, uh, what's it like? Efficiency expert. Like if it takes less than two minutes, do it immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Two yeah. minutes, just do it. Well, you fifteen know minutes for a like a pro. So that's a small project, right? Yeah, it's a small project. Yeah, yeah. You know what I get a little bit paranoid about is it's going to take longer than I think it's going to take, and I'm going to get bogged down. Yeah, this like when I used to do a lot of work on my houses. Yeah, that's real. You know, you open up a wall in an old house, you don't know what you're going to find, bro. Yeah. You know, you, you open up to to look at one little electrical circuit, You're next thing you know, you're putting a new sub panel in your rewiring house. <laughs> one time, one time I went yeah. to, like, seal up my roof, and I ended up re-roofing a third of my roof on a hot summer day for, you know, 16 hours or something like this. Yeah. Like, just... Occasionally, especially you got an old house, you start opening up problems, there's gonna be more problems. Yeah, so I guess maybe a side note, you gotta consider those, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. All right. There you go. I have one thing that actually that is like that. You just make it a rule, 100%. It's just a bit, you know how certain bills, like you're like, oh, I'll pay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that when I, you know, when mm -hmm. I have the time or whatever, but there's this one bill that, I pay no matter what right then and there. What when bill it, when is it? it comes is it in, like just so one, hype? one of our bills. Is it like a weird bill or something with a big penalty or something? No, just because I know the vendor personally. Oh. That's what made me like do it. Because every once in a while I'll be like, oh, I'll do it later. And then he'll like remind me two days later. <laughs> and you feel bad. Yeah, I feel like, oh man, I, like what if he thinks I'm like dodging him or something like that? Mm -hmm. You know, when you never do, you just, I'm just doing that thing. That thing that yeah. you do. The thing that I did one time. Whatever, bro. You're, hey, one time. 
Be careful, everybody. It's true. Be careful. Reap the rewards. Take the 15 minutes and freaking reassemble the shelving unit and square your life away. My life is so much more squared away. I know it sounds weird. I look forward. I'm like going to the gym. I'm like, oh, this is <laughs> like my gym bag, which I have a big gym bag. It just fits in that thing now with total comfort. Pushes right in. Oh man! So square your life away, everybody. Don't procrastinate like I did. I understand. Let's get to some UNA. What do we got? First question: Jocko and company. Love all you do and your team's work. It's been inspiring to my crew of firefighters and paramedics. We're all better for it. My question is: I started very young in the fire service. 19. I'm 26 now. I'm still young, but have progressed to the point which I am able to act as a lieutenant. So far, so good. Your leadership training has been great. However, in a couple in a couple years, I'll likely have the opportunity to promote to lieutenants to the lieutenant's position. While my officers believe I'll be good in a leadership role, they're encouraging me encouraging me not to take things too quickly and get worn out over a long career. I agree with them. But I'm at a loss in which I feel that I will regret holding myself back because I greatly value the leadership roles. Do I stay put, not actively work towards that promotional oct- uh, opportunity, or should I stay, or should I stay put and get some more years under me? Thanks. All right. Okay. First of all, for my career was kind of I I really liked my career and and there's. For me to truly say I wouldn't change anything about my career is though you know, not too many people get to say that, right? Part of that reason is because I was a in junior enlisted guy and I came up through the ranks and I had time to do that job and that time was well spent and I learned a lot and I enjoyed that part of the job. And so these guys might be kind of saying that, you know, like, hey, dude, just enjoy just being firefighter, you know? Enjoy being a guy on a hose, enjoy you like enjoy doing that part of the job cuz you're going to have plenty of time to be in a leadership position and plenty of time to be filling out paperwork and plenty of time to be overall responsible for what's happening. So, that could be what they're saying. Hey, is there a chance it could be that they just don't, they just trying to drag you down like the crabs in the bucket, right? Mm-hmm. That they're just crabs in the bucket, you're trying to step up and they're just trying to pull you back down? That is also possible. I hate to say it. That attitude exists everywhere. It existed in the SEAL teams. So beware of that. But also, they could also just be telling the truth of like, hey, dude. Being a fire, like, uh, being a firefighter is an awesome job. Like you've you've heard me say, like being an E five and a SEAL platoon is like best job in the world. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's an awesome job. Mm-hmm. And and if you're in that job, relish it. Why are you trying to like get promoted? You're not even really that great of a sixty gunner yet. Get really good at that. Even if you are a great sixty gunner, great. Teach some other people to be a great sixty gunner. Like there's all these things where they so so. I guess we can't understand what they're thinking, but we can understand what your thought process is. You know what you're thinking. So if you're looking at this job, maybe you are kind of missing out on the fact that being one of the frontline shooters is a cool job. Being a firefighter, one, is a cool job. Like, that's a great job. So enjoy it, relish it. Now, if I would have just somehow become an officer and gone in as an officer, well, then I would have been, you know, more senior 
and I would, would could have been in charge of a SEAL team. I could have been, like there's a bunch of, there's some jobs I could have had that I didn't have. And would that have been cool? Yeah. Some of those jobs may have been awesome. So there's that as well. You need to assess that. You might be looking at like, hey, you know, if I can get promoted now, I'm gonna end up, you know, being a battalion chief or going up the chain of command and really doing cool stuff. Which, if that's what you view and that's what you like, you need to pay attention to that. So different people, you know, there's people right now in a SEAL platoon that do not want any responsibility. There's people at companies that do not want it. They want to do their job, nine to five, come home. They want to go, they want to do their firefighting shift. They don't want any additional responsibility. And they're just looking at you like, dude, just enjoy it. And there's a chance that you're not like that. I mean, eventually I turned so I wasn't like that, right? I mean, I put it in an officer package to become an officer. Why did I do that? I wanted more responsibility. I wanted to be in a leadership position. I wanted to take care of the troops. So that made sense to me. So that's something that you know. You know what you're looking for. You and but you got to be honest with yourself. You know, do you just have a tyrannical mindset where you want to be in charge? Watch out for that. Mm-hmm. The, so f- because of that, I would say I wouldn't work toward being promoted. That's not my goal. My goal is not to be promoted. That's not my goal. My goal is to do a good job at my job. If you're focusing on getting promoted, getting promoted, if that's what's driving you, guess what? Everyone's gonna see that. You're gonna look like the person that, well, you're gonna look like a tyrannical guy that just wants to be in charge. So don't do that. Focus on your skills. So what I'm gonna recommend you do is number one, pay attention to what you actually believe, but then ride the wave. But here's the deal. Ride the wave, but guess what? In order to catch the wave, you gotta paddle. And you gotta you gotta put your weight in the right places. So there's a nuanced thought behind this, right? The wave of your career, yeah, ride it. That means don't try and like get ahead of it. Don't try and don't try and force that wave because you can't. Mm. Or you can, but you could end up wiping out. What you want to do is you want to work in conjunction with the wave. You have to paddle to get in there, then you have to be in the right position on the wave. That's what I would recommend. I would recommend riding the wave. That means being proactive to be in the right spot, but not trying to dictate where the wave goes. That's what I'm thinking. Dave? You said something that, um, I guess it sort of sounds super simple when I reflect back on it, but, and I'll explain it. But I also think like you should sort of do what you want to do. I mean, you explain that, and I know that's a simple way to describe it. But when I joined the Marine Corps, I'll be totally honest. Like I wanted to fly airplanes, so it was like I joined the Marine Corps. I love the Marine Corps. I, I, there was all great things. Probably not much different than joining, you know, the fire service. But probably want to like be a fireman is why you join that. And so my point to that was. I was very surprised at how quickly the leadership piece, which was not why I joined the Marine Corps, became really interesting and compelling. And I really discovered I actually liked that. And I started over my career, started to like it as much as the flying. And then at some point I actually liked it more. And if you generally do what you want, which is if there's a party that wants to pursue the leadership component because that's really what you're passionate about, meaning you're there to help the team, you're there to make the people around you better, you discover you can be an awesome hedge between 
this very real bureaucracy that can be really difficult to deal with that can weigh down on your people and, and not be a good thing to, to work with and you actually want to be in a position to manage that, you should go down that path because the burnout that people warn you about, which can absolutely be real, is far less likely if you actually want to be part of that bureaucracy to help manage it. Because there's nothing worse than being a frontline guy lamenting how jacked up the bureaucracy is that makes your day-to-day life pretty terrible even though you're doing what you want to be doing because you don't pursue those leadership roles. So as simple as it sounds, if you actually want to be in a leadership role without getting all crazy, when those opportunities come up, the balance of like, hey, what should I be doing? If you're doing it for the right reasons, find those opportunities and go with them if you realize that that leadership thing is really what you want. In my career, I look back, I love flying airplanes. But my favorite part of my time in the Marine Corps was much more about managing the leadership side of my team, my Marines, my people, especially through the bureaucracy that most people hated. Mm -hmm. So there's some real power inside that if you can reflect on what you really want for the right reasons. Yeah, that's it. If you're looking to promote it, get do your do your authoritarian self check. Because <laughs> if you want to get promoted, so you can finally be in charge of Dave Burke over there to make him show how we're gonna set up the engine this time. Mm-hmm. If that's where you're at, bro, check yourself. Check yourself. No one wants to work for you when you're like that, by the way. But if you're a good dude and you're doing it for the right reasons, because you want to take care of the team, go for it. That's my assessment. Is that common to not want to get promoted? Because it kind of, you know, it kind of seems like, uh, oh, yeah, that's the goal, right, all the time, right? Oh, promotion, congratulations. But then, you know, how every once in a while, someone would be like, hey, I kind of don't want to be the It's not even boss. every once in a while. It's, there's plenty of people Pretty like that. Pretty common. Yeah, there's plenty of people like that. Yeah, like I've heard of people who do coding, you know, mm-hmm. like what computer stuff or whatever. Yeah. And then they if they if there's a promotion to be like the super, I don't know. Team lead. Yeah, or the project manager. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, they don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. They, they like doing the coding part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. Yes. Happens with SEALs. The one I know that the British, the Brit, in the Brit, in the British, they can just stay. You can be like, no, I'm not, I don't want to get promoted. True. I want to just be this guy. I just want to be a, a machine gunner. Okay. Sweet. Cool. Which is cool. All right, next question. Next question. Whenever I feel some anger rising within me, I think of your words, showing anger is a sign of weakness. Remain detached and don't let your emotions dictate your actions. As a former rage alcoholic, this has served no, me well. It just says rageaholic, not rage alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. We know uh, there's such thing as a rage alcoholic. There is, but I don't think this guy's one of them. This well, guy's just a rageaholic. Uh, yeah, apparently not. That's what it looked like first. Okay, there you go. As a former rageaholic, this has served me well. Thank you. In Dan Crenshaw's book, he speaks about making an effort to not offend others and an even greater effort to not be offended. Do you think it would be fair to say that not being offended is similar to remaining detached? Am I, am I out of line thinking that not being offended is in line with controlling your emotions and not letting them negatively affect situations or decisions? It seems that many people in society, especially the vocal ones, choose to be offended, choose to be offended and use outrage as a sign of being virtuous and righteous. When I see someone being offended and letting their emotions fuel their outrage, I see weakness. How do we encourage resilience rather than weakness in our teams and families? Thank you for your time. Well, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, if you can't detach, you might get offended. And if you get offended, you probably should work on your detachment. So I think, yeah, you're you're on point there. Um, 
it's our ego that gets offended often. So we also have to check that maybe our ego is too big. So those are like two checks you can run. Um, the, the One of the things that kind of jumps out a little bit, kind of rubs me a little bit and catches me a little bit and makes me think a little bit is this, the whole premise of this question is like, oh, if I start losing my anger, that's a sign of weakness in myself. This question is starting to say, oh, you're getting offended, so you're weak. Mm. So we're starting to, we're starting to like be looking at other people and judging other people and saying, oh, yeah. you're weak. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, Echo's offended right now. Instead of me thinking Echo's weak, what I should say is I wonder what I said that, that really is going on where I offended Echo. Mm. So instead of me taking ownership of what's going on, I'm actually, I'm actually blaming Echo for getting offended. Mm. Instead of saying to myself, yeah, you know what? I probably shouldn't have said that was a little bit harsh. Or hey, I don't really know what's going on with Echo right now, but that really looked like it bothered him. I wonder what's happening. Mm. I wonder what part of his perspective I'm not seeing. So when I see someone being offended and letting their emotions fuel their outrage, I see weakness. I mean, sure, if you wanna sit around objectively and look at social media and see weakness in some random unknown bot that's out there and you wanna (laughs) impose your view of weakness on them, whatever. I wouldn't recommend spending a bunch of time doing that. If you're talking about actual interactions with other human beings that you're having and you're seeing someone getting offended, well then I would go kind of back to our default mode of building a relationship with that person. Right, because now we're talking about how do we encourage resilience rather than weakness in our teams and families. So these are people we know. Build relationships with them. Set a good example, right, by not getting offended reward proper behavior. When someone's, you know, someone on the team does a good job, a client comes in and yells and they take it well, you go, hey man, that was a really good job de-escalating that situation. When they don't act properly, you say, hey, did you think that really helped out the way you started to get offended? And you do that by doing what I just did, which is asking earnest questions. So when Dave says something to Echo, and Echo gets offended, I might say, hey Dave, you know, why, why do you think he's offended about that? So I'm gonna ask Dave some earnest questions. So that's it. I think I got them all. Do oh, let me just run through and make sure I got. Them. Do you think it would be fair to say that not being offended is similar to be remaining detached? Yes, it is similar. Am I out of line thinking that not being offended is lined with controlling your emotions and not letting them negatively affect your situations or decisions? Yes, I would say that's accurate. The last question, uh, you know, oh, well, previous to the last question is this statement about seeing weakness. You know, let's just be careful on how we're judging other people and let's aim that judgment at ourselves. And then how do we encourage resilience? Yeah, that's what I said, build relationships with people, set a good example, reward proper behavior, mitigate improper behavior, and ask earnest questions to show people the light. That's what I got. What do you got, Dave? I was pretty good. Um, (laughs) I think about my ego like how my ego wants to respond to both of those things. And one for me is actually easier than the other. Jocko says something I don't like and I would sort of normally be offended. It's really not hard for me to go, all right, I'm, just, I'm not gonna get offended by that. I don't know if he's trying to push my buttons or maybe, maybe he just that's just the way he comes across, but I'm in like total control of, you say something that's offensive, I, I don't need to get offended by that. I can control that, that's, that's really shouldn't be that hard. That's our. That's all ego there. I got to keep that thing under control. But the opposite direction of, 
of I, I was thinking of this of this saying, I don't know if you heard in the teams, but there was this saying like if if something to the effect of um if they're upset you're doing something right. <laughs> something that kind of implied like yeah. I don't exactly remember what it was, but if you're trying to affect change or move something or get something done and they're upset, you're doing something right. Mm -hmm. And there's this almost like this little subtle reinforcement of that's how they should feel because yeah. you're doing the right thing and trying to get them to change and they don't want it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's yeah, that's where we have an issue. Like, yeah, go ahead. You're gonna say something. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you've heard the story of Leif. Leif was teaching the junior officer training course and like one of the senior officers would come in and say, say, if you're in a leadership position and you're not liked, then you're doing a good job. Yeah. And Leif, like the guy would leave and Leif would have to like undo this. Undo be like, hey guys, no. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. And we don't want that for a couple of reasons. One, yeah. look, uh, real quick, the opposite is like, oh, now you think you're going to, you're gonna be a popularity contest, right? Mm -hmm. I just wanna, hey everyone, what do you guys wanna do? You guys wanna leave early? You guys wanna, you know, cut corners on the stuff? We don't wanna work hard. No, 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 that's not what we're saying at all. Mm -hmm. That's going extreme in the other direction. Yeah. But there's no reason to actually not be liked as a leader. No reason. So. Yeah. yeah. And if I find that I'm going to offend you and I need, actually need something from you or I need you to do something to help the team or I need some outcome and I offend you, I just think about like, is this helping me? <laughs> and is there a better way to do it? And there almost always is a better way to do it. You said Ernest questions a whole bunch of techniques, but yeah. that's the other side that I think about. Yep. So. There you go. I think that's pretty straightforward, man. It sounds like you're out, you're thinking the right things, man. You're doing a good job. Staying detached, not getting offended. Let's start building some relationships. Gonna help everybody. That's what I got. Yeah, the deep, I mean, people get offended for different reasons. Mm -hmm, true. We know that. Uh, but what, one that I kind of arrived at is like, and I'm looking at myself, the, all the times that I've been offended, mm -hmm. if I looked at it in terms of, hey, I'm just taking this personally. Because, mm -hmm. you know, let's face it, someone says something online and you just severe, you know, you disagree with it a lot. And, this kind of thing. and you disagree with it emotionally or whatever, and you kind of get offended, we'll say. Even if it's someone you don't really know in real mm -hmm. life. Just saying, that's a possibility. <laughs> but if you look at it like, bro, that's not like directed at me personally it's like not person not personal you know yeah. then you tend to not really feel offended so and actually i tell you that i'll tell you it when we're not recording but about like a guy who just rubbed me the wrong way the first day moment first day i met him mm -hmm. and <laughs> no not you did um, <laughs> good deal Dave. but yeah but even th and i think that's that was like legitimate i think he would rub anyone the wrong way if they had that same interaction with them or whatever but even then i'm thinking of it in terms of wait but i just took it personal i think and to be honest i don't think it really was personal mm -hmm. so it's like oh man just immediately recognizing <clears throat> that the only reason i'm offended is because i'm taking it i'm not saying that's going to be 100 percent of the time but i'm just saying hey man it's probability wise it's it's very probable you know yeah. you just took that shit personal check this out i got some goodness for the world right now right on so you ever heard that thing, if you're offended by something, there's probably some truth in it? Yes. I think that's accurate. Yeah. And here's the deal. So, when you get offended by something, what you should say to yourself is, hmm, this is bothering me, what part of it is true? And then you wanna know what you do? You say, hey, I go, you know what, you're right. Sometimes I do go a little bit hard in the paint when we're talking, and I know it can be a little bit of a dick. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. You own it. Mm -hmm. You own it. 
That's why you see, this is what you see. You wanna talk about social media. That's what you see on social media where someone t- someone takes a shot at someone sure. and there's enough truth in it that it really bothers them and they go hardcore on the defense. Yeah. You know, you were just saying this, I forget when, about me. Yeah. You're like, oh, I've seen you just you just take stuff and you like admit it. When, did, when were you saying this? Today, right? Was right. that on this the podcast we recorded? It was another today? podcast. It was okay, before. yeah, because somebody says something about me they're like, oh, Joe, you freaking knuckle dragger. What do I say? I say, yeah, you know, I, definitely, I'm, I'm definitely a knuckle dragger. I'm probably, definitely a pretty good percentage of Neanderthal blood running through my veins. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's actually true. I'm a bit of a knuckle dragger. Well, someone wants to call me whatever, whatever thing they want to call me. Dumb. Yeah, well, no, I've done some really dumb stuff and I'm not the smartest tool in the shed. Cool, got it. Uh, whatever insult someone wants to throw my way, if it really bothers me, I'm probably like, there's some truth to it, and so then I just own it, and let's move forward. Yeah. Another thing to think about, that you know, if you're insecure about something, mm-hmm. this is what the teams gets out of you. You're insecure about something, and the teams find out they're coming at it. Yeah. So you're gonna have to own it. Yeah. Or it's gonna just be a nightmare for you for until they break you, mm-hmm. right? So, you, when you're insecure, and someone says something to you, and you get offended, you should say, okay, what's true about this thing? And then how do I take ownership of it and, and fix it? But the, but you can't hide from it. Yeah. And when you put up defenses, you look worse. You look freaking worse. When when someone says to me, oh, freaking Jocko's a knuckle dragger, and I go, well, you know what? I, I, I had a 4.0 in college. Ew. What, I mean, how does that look? Yeah. Do I look like I'm secure? No, I actually look like I'm totally insecure and I feel like maybe I'm stupid. Yeah. You know? Instead, it's like, yeah, you know, I definitely wish I could be smarter. I mean, how how hard is this? So, there's a little nugget for the people. Yeah. Yeah, but you do have to have the capability to detach, though, seems safe. Yeah, if you can't detach, which, which, what's interesting about that statement is there's no harder situation to detach than when you're getting emotional because someone insulted you. Yep. Yeah, you're right too about that thing that it's like there's it's kind of true and that's there's a key word. Kind of it's like kind of true. Sure. If it's like obviously true, it's like you're essentially going to be kind of secure with it. But if it's kind of true or something that's true that you don't want to admit or something like this or you're insecure about, oh, that's going to jam you up, man. That's what it feels like. Watch out. Watch out. All right. Next question. Next question. Hey, Jocko, I'm 23 and I don't get along with most people my age. I hate how fake people act and pretend to be. I don't act any way other than myself and I'm very blunt with what I say. The people I get along best with are 40 and older. I don't like to go to the bar or clubs unlike most people my age. How do I find people my age that are like me? Or are there any? Thanks, I love your podcast. So, you know, if you act kind of only the way you wanna act and people don't like the way you act, they won't hang around with you. That's sort of the way people have the, and, and, and you say you don't wanna hang around with them, right? They don't wanna hang around with you either. If you act a certain way and you don't like the way they act and they don't like the way you act. Being blunt is a euphemism for being an asshole in many cases, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of Echo's favorite uh, personality types to discuss. <laughs> the person that sure. says, you know, I'm just blunt. And Echo, you know, you, you just look like a bald bastard. Yeah. Oh, you just got to deal with it. I'm just blunt. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm just going to tell you directly, you show you show up late all the time, it's worthless. I think you're kind of, like, that's being blunt. So being blunt is considered by some people being an asshole. For instance, like, on this question, I could say, well, it sounds like you're an asshole, and no wonder no one wants to hang around with you because you're arrogant and judgmental, and you think everyone's fake, and you're the only one that's real, and you think that everyone else is pretending, but you're the only young person who's keeping it real. So you're just a judgmental asshole that can't get along with people. Next question. I could say that. That'd be blunt, right? Mm-hmm. How would that land? Probably not really well. I could say, hey man, you know what? After reading this question, I think it might be helpful if you went and checked out the podcast that I did with uh, Dave Burke about the indirect approach. Because the indirect approach is a whole methodology of thought where instead of being blunt, instead of attacking problems head on, instead of going straight forward, you take an indirect approach, you come around to the flank. And the direct approach, generally speaking, is not the best approach to take. It's not the best approach to take in combat. It's not the best approach to take in dealing with other people. And I know, look, we talk about, you can go to that podcast and listen to the whole thing because hopefully it'll start to make some sense because it's counterintuitive. What most people think is exactly what you're saying. That's what most people think. That's the most natural thing. You, we all have been brainwashed to think that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So that's why you think, hey, I'm just blunt. I put it, I live it real. I keep it real. But the vast majority of the time, that approach of being blunt and being direct doesn't work. Even though you might be speaking the truth, which reinforces our own thought process to go with the direct approach, when you use the direct approach, it usually doesn't land right. It usually offends people. Therefore, the truth that you hold so dear doesn't actually have any impact because you're essentially punching people in the face with the truth. And no matter whether it's truth or not, they have to defend themselves because they're getting punched in the face with it. So, from a strategic and tactical perspective, almost always it's better to listen to people, to understand their perspective, to build a relationship, and then start to influence them. That's called the indirect approach. And as you go through life, this will end up making things better for you. So I could say something like that, which is what I actually would say. I wouldn't say, he sounds like you're an asshole. No, I would take the indirect approach with you to try and help you see that the indirect approach is a superior way of living life. And no one wants to hear this because here's one of the other things we talk about that. If I say I'm being direct with you, what does that imply? It implies I'm telling you the truth, which means the indirect must mean I'm lying to you. And we go through, we explain that. But everybody supports truth over lies. So your instinct is to say, well, I'm truthful and everyone else is liars. So go and listen to the podcast that Dave Burke, it was a series of podcasts. We did a bunch of podcasts about it. They're all in a row. It's about the indirect approach. And I think if you start utilizing the indirect approach, your relationship building with people, look, as a 23-year-old, you don't wanna be hanging around with 40-year-old people. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I'm 50, I can hang around with like my kids, you know, my kids are in their 20s, I can hang around with their, with their friends for a little while. Mm. But 
they don't want to hang around with me. I don't want to hang around with them. Like not on a not on a hang around kind of business. <laughs> and look, you don't want to go to bars. You don't want to go to clubs. Cool, that's great. Go to jujitsu. You're going to the gym. You're going to you know going to see concerts or whatever you're trying to do. You still you don't want to be doing those with forty year old people. And I don't know why. I don't know what the scenario is. I mean, not that there's anything wrong. Look, if I I do have some friends that are older than me. I have some friends that are younger than me. I get it. But if this is the standard for your life, it's a little bit strange because 40 year old people are married, 40 year old people have kids, 40 year old people have careers. 23 year olds don't, they're not married, they don't have kids, they don't have like a permanent career, they probably don't have a mortgage, like there's a bunch of differences. So go and listen to those podcasts about the indirect approach. I'm t- I, look, and this is not like some obvious thing that I'm telling you. This is something that we, Dave, me, the team at Echelon Front, we have to talk about this stuff all the time. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. What you're saying is the most intuitive way to behave. I don't like fake people. I don't like people that pretend to be a certain way. Everyone supports those comments. The problem is going through life Smashing people in the face with that, it doesn't help you. Dave? <laughs> yeah. The indirect approach. What's kind of cool about that question, though, is that inside that question, there actually is, I think there's something that's going to help you out as you as you listen to that answer. Because inside that question, I think there's a little bit of humility. Because he's asking you, Hey man, I, this is how I think, but I need you to kind of like mm-hmm. tell me, y- am I off, the, maybe off track a little bit? Kind of knowing full well, if you ever listen to Jocko talk, he's probably going to come to the point where he's not gonna be like, yeah, everybody else is screwed up, you're good to go, continue on <laughs> and move on to the next question. You know that's not gonna happen. So even inside the question that was asked, there's some humility there of he's probably gonna get an answer that maybe he doesn't necessarily want, but he knows he might need. and. The, the cool part about that is that the, the, the components of, it's all these other people, they're fake, they're this or that. There's a piece there that if you know anything about Jocko's concept of ownership is like, hey man, we, A, we don't really know what's going on in their lives, so let's, let's cool off on the judgment a little bit, but what can you do to bring this to, back to yourself and make it not about them? And I think just asking that question, if you can be humble and listen to Jocko's answer, part of the indirect approach, the beautiful thing about the indirect approach is you spend more time focusing on what you need to do differently as opposed to what they need to do differently. And they is a pretty nebulous word. Like I don't even know who they is, but that's a hard thing to, to, to focus on. So inside the indirect approach is the humility of I need to do something different. And I think the fact that you asked Jocko that question, you probably know that there's some adjustments you can make. And when you start making those adjustments, the outcome is gonna be better. And you're gonna realize that over time, you're gonna to wanna to make a bunch of adjustments and your life is gonna improve by doing that. So good on you for recognizing subtly that you know you need to do something different. Yeah, the, it's amazing the amount of time I spent in the way the Warrior Kid book series talking about trying to explain to young Mark how to understand other people's perspectives in the world. Because, you know, you talk to someone that's fake, right? Uh, you know, oh, Echo Charles, he's walking around with his, you know, with his expensive suit on and he's driving a Cadillac Escalade and he's got a Rolex watch and he's, you know, I can't stand that kind of fake person. 
Then I start end up starting to talk to Echo. Hey, you know, what do you do, Echo? Well, you know, I'm working in this financial company. One of the big things that our boss talks about is like we got to present a really professional image. And you know, one of the th- ways that we do that is you know we we have to wear this stupid monkey suit all the time. And you're like, oh, well, what about that Cadillac you have? Oh yeah, my brother works at a Cadillac dealer, so I get a discount on him. You're like, oh, okay. Well, what about that Rolex that you wear thinking you're all cool? No, it's actually a fake Rolex. It's no big deal. It cost me It cost me $140 in New York City. It's not real, and I don't care. So, so you see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, yeah. oh, Echo's not this fake person. He's He has a job. He might be playing a role in job in order to be successful. Yep. This doesn't mean he's a bad person. So lots of different perspectives we can understand here. I um. If the the question technically is how do I find people my age that are like me? So I I mean maybe maybe you're right, but I don't know. It didn't feel like there was that much humility in it. I guess just asking it in and of itself is right. But think what he asked though. Where do I find people that are like me? More like still the other people are the jammed up ones. Yeah. <clears throat> Not me. I just haven't found the right people. See what I'm saying? So I knew a guy. We know a guy. I'm not going to say who. But all his experience with most, pretty much all his experience with females were, um, they were shallow females who were, you know, like they didn't have that much integrity in like all this stuff. Right. But like it was so obvious to us that he would only interact in a way that basically would filter out all legitimate females. Like no <laughs> legitimate female would talk to him. Yeah. So therefore his interactions, yeah. all of them, yeah. are only with girls who are don't have integrity or need attention or whatever his, his complaints were. But he thought they were all like that. So, But to everyone else it was so obvious because the legitimate ones were simply absent. Yeah. So he could be in, I don't know. We don't know, you know, this guy, we don't know. We can't read his mind, we don't know yeah. where he lives, all this stuff. But this could be a possibility where all the like, People who are like you, quote unquote, or basically the people that he wants to interact with, like are absent right now. It might be because of this, because the people who can tolerate him, who he would like to hang around with, don't tolerate him and are not around. Yeah. Or it could be if you're like this type of person and you don't, with your experience with interacting with people is going to bars and going to clubs. Yeah. And guess what you see at clubs? A bunch of people that are wearing, you know, ordering bottle service and all that. Of course, you do. go to a jiu-jitsu studio. Yeah. Go to a jiu-jitsu academy and just walk in there and be like, hey, what's going on? I want to learn how to fight. People are like, oh, cool. We, we want to learn how to fight too. Yeah. Or, you know, so going to an environment, nightclubs and bars are not a great place to meet people that are like keeping it real all the time. Yeah. So you're gonna, especially at the ages of 23, 24, 25, depending on what, can you imagine if this dude is in, is in New York City? Yeah, that's what Or is saying. in like Los Angeles? I mean, come on. So there's probably some environments you could go to, a jiu-jitsu gym, a weightlifting gym, a powerlifting gym, uh, I'm thinking of physical activities, yeah. but there's definitely places where you'll screen out a bunch of fake, because you can't really be fake in, well, you can. There, much of the fakeness is screened out of a jiu-jitsu school. Yeah. Much of, not all of, but much. 
Yeah. So, and he might get screened out if he's being a dick. And 100%. I'm not saying, th- I'm not saying being blunt is always being a dick. I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah. And there is such thing as a, a a cool guy who is maybe sort of blunt because yeah. of the culture, because of whatever. And a lot of people in certain other cultures may not may have low tolerance for that kind of stuff. So I understand that that's a possible dynamic or whatever. Mm. Um, but it is it is all something to, to watch out for. Yep. Always check yourself. It's true. Right. Next question. Next question. I'm 26 and I'm an aspiring artist trying to break into the industry. My main problem is and always has been deciding which of my numerous creative interests to aim at and pursue. Those interests are writing, painting, portraiture. That's drawing portraits, I'm assuming. Concept art for entertainment, photography, tattoo design work, color work for comics, and general freelance illustrative work. Whenever I make a move to focus on one, I feel myself drawn more so to my other creative interests. I shift to f- shift to focus on another, then the same feeling overwhelms me again. I freeze, then take no action and make no progress. Yeah, uh, you know, Dave was referring about how if you listen to me, you probably know what I'm gonna say and you can probably predict what I'm gonna say here, dude. You need to complete some projects. Uh, that's what you need to do. You need to say, oh, okay, right now I want to, write something, what, is it, what kind of writing? Well, I'm gonna write uh, a book. I'm gonna write a short story, I'm gonna, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a series of paintings. And you need to do that, and you need to set it up, set up your timeline, and then you need to freaking execute. I noticed a, a paradox in something I've said a bunch. Echo, you've agreed with me on many occasions. Sure. The first step is the hardest, right? We always say that. I always say that. Yeah. Hey, man, the first step is the hardest step. You know, you gotta like, you gotta like, get, yo, you're gonna go to the gym and work out today? The biggest, the, fir- the hardest part of that is getting the first step, getting up out of bed and going to the gym. Yeah. That's the hardest part of it. You wanna get done painting your, you know, bedroom today? Cool. The hardest part is like, all right, I gotta start pr- doing all the prep work this morning. You know, I have the paint. I already went and picked up the paint. Now I gotta get it done. Mm. What, as I thought about this person and that statement, that statement for a long-term project becomes untrue in some ways. The way it becomes untrue is starting to write a book is easy. Yeah. You know how many people have started writing books? Yeah. Like, many, many people <laughs> have started writing books. You know how many people have started a painting? Yeah. You know how many people have started a, a comic book? You know, like all these things, all these things that are they're, they're actually easy to start. Like, oh, I got this idea for this. I'm gonna outline the book. You know how many people are sitting around with an outline of a book that they're gonna write one day? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. The vast majority of people that wanna write something are sitting right now at this current time, and I can speak about writing because I've written a bunch of books, are sitting around right now with an outline of a book or a first you know, 12 pages or even 30 pages of a book that they didn't write, they didn't finish it, and they're not going to finish it. Yeah. Why? Because the over time, you know what you could, else you could use in this is like getting in shape. Yeah. You know how many people are like, oh, I'm gonna get in sick shape for the summer. Yeah, hell yeah. And they work out for a week, but they're but it's not consistent. Right. 
Yeah, the New Year's resolution. The New Year's res. How long do those last? The average New Year's resolution lasts 13 days or whatever the statement is, right? Yeah. It's true. So well, then what I realized is, you know that unmitigated daily discipline in all, in all things? Sure. You have to set up two things. One is the long-term project, and then the next is the unmitigated daily discipline in all things. And the real obvious example is what I do when writing a book, which is I'm gonna write a 1,000 words a day, mm. regardless. And this is where it's true and not true. The hardest part about writing a 1,000 words a day, the hardest part is the first step, opening up the computer, I gotta start writing. Mm. But what's even harder that, than that is doing it every single day unmitigated daily discipline in all things. So that's what this individual needs to do. You need to pick out what project it is you're gonna actually freaking do, and then you need to outline it and you need to execute on it with no excuses. This is actually a sad, sad state of affairs. Because if you have something for the world, and you don't have the wherewithal to put that thing together and get it out there, who knows what that piece of art or that piece of literature or that photography or that comic book, who knows who that's gonna impact. And you're just in there not even having the discipline to help the world out by getting this information out there. So, Pick one. Whatever idea it is that bubbles to the surface and grab that thing and set up a framework where you're gonna execute on it to completion. To completion. That's my recommendation. Right, wrong? Hey, Echo Charles, how many uh, video Parts do you have? How many videos have you started and not finished? Yeah, yeah, pretty much all of them. <laughs> Statistically, what, what, all of what them. What percentage of your videos make it to make it to upload? Less than ten percent. Less than ten yeah. percent. Oh yeah. Um, the, and this is sometimes. Well, sometimes because a lot of this creative stuff, and this might be a problem. I'm. I'm. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but but I do suffer. For <laughs> I kind of am. Not. I do suffer from some of this stuff as well because, you know, he has different he or she. I'm not sure. Wait. Yeah. Has different like mediums, you know, like yeah. creative outlet and they're different. So you could start one thing. And I'm saying this because I, I did this. You can start one thing. You start getting into it. Then it's like, oh, my gosh, hit a struggle here and there. Maybe I'll take a you know creative block. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even sort of get bored with it, especially when I know there's like three other creative outlets I have to kind of distract myself from the boredom of this one, how this one is getting, you know? So you kind of, it's almost like a procrastination distraction scenario. So then that one is like, okay, that one's unfinished. Let me, ooh, and then that excitement about a new painting. And you start the new painting. This is like uh, when people are, they like to meet like, whether it's a girl likes to meet guys or a guy likes to meet girls. Seth Stone, classic example. Sure. He liked to like that that initial kind of yeah. engagement with women. With oh, yeah. you know, he'd meet them and like, oh man, she's all and oh, you'd see him like get all fired up. Yeah. But then, you know, he would want to meet someone else. Like get <laughs> like that initial sort sure. of yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. That was what he was liked. Very so similar. this person has that, but for 
artistic endeavors. Yeah, and I, I don't. I mean, I don't know the princess <laughs> don't on glass, bro. <laughs> I don't know the scientific, you know, mechanisms behind that, but it seems like the same thing. And I'm just speaking when it mm-hmm. happens to me, where yeah, you start, especially if it's going to take a little bit while to finish. You start hitting those boring points. Just anything less exciting about that beginning starting phase. You know, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. Even like, come on, you know, when you're young, you're like, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to sell these things. And, and you set up the website. You oh, buy the you URL. Buy the URL. <laughs> we have a lot of URLs, by the way. And, you know, you get all excited and then you got to do the boring parts. Dude, and you're Go like, Daddy bro. sells dreams for nine ninety nine. <laughs> it does. It does. It totally does. But you, then you dreams. get distracted by yet another creative. By the way, so it's the same dynamic. So you're like, oh my God, you know what video I should make? Oh, I should start making this. And you plan it, you outline it, you start shooting, you start doing it, and it gets kind of the work, starts to pile up. You take a break. Oh, on it's this. gonna be work. Yeah, you know the work <laughs> That's part. The obstacle for the work. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good way to put it. Like, cause come on, let's face it, as a creative, like drawing, it's like you get a, a very specific type of payoff, you know, for that, that creative, that that creative spark. Yeah. You know, just like Seth Stone, yeah. that spark. Yeah. Once the work starts kicking in, once you got to return those calls, <laughs> you got to remember these dates and like yeah, all this yeah, stuff, yeah. you got to meet these parents or whatever. Yeah. That's the work. And then boom, you start to look for other like yeah. things Exciting that provide sparks. the spark. Exactly. Yeah, right? So I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I'm just saying I've experienced this and I think that's the way it works. Well, what did you write down, Dave? Uh, I wrote down what you said. <laughs> I don't want to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> seems like i think yeah i think like what you said i Uh think that is like a the way to do it like literally the way to you can because it's essentially like being disciplined all that is not all that is but really what that is eliminating distractions keeping your eye on like the goal whatever the goal is right and and then following through right and in a way his own or her own activities I would, is the distraction i would be so mad at myself if i was this individual i get mad at myself right now because i'm like i got three more books that i know need to come out and i'm like not getting them out quick enough yeah you're a little bit different than a lot of people but not to mention music i got songs i got riffs you know we we get, we get a thing at my band when i show up friday or saturday night depending on what night we're playing or both what's your band called again Jocko and the PTSDs. <laughs> it used yeah. to be Jocko and the STDs. <laughs> okay. Did you not know that? Did you know that? Yeah, yeah I did. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, because it was Jocko and the there. STDs because we have Scott, Trevor, and Drew. Those are the other oh, band members. Gotcha. But then we got an additional bassist. We got a new bassist. Yeah. And and Trevor went to rhythm guitar. So now and the and the bassist name is P Pete. Yeah. Peter. P-T-S-D. English Peter. So. So now we have Pete, Scott, Trevor, and Drew. So it's PTSD. Yeah. So it used to be Jocko and the STDs. There you go. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did know that. I That's good. Cool. All right. So, yes, you're with your band. Oh, because I'll come in and be like, oh, I'm, I come bearing riffs. <laughs> That's what I walk in. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'll break out. I, I record riffs on my phone, and I'm like, here's a new riff. Yeah. And I'm talking classic riffs, bro. Sure. I'm sure. Riffs that land <laughs> I'm sure and then take off. Outstanding. Like yeah. I'm bearing riffs. But guess what? Lack of discipline. I shouldn't be rolling in there with a riff. I should be rolling in there with three riffs, a bridge. You know what I'm saying? I should be completing the evolution. Sure. 
not doing it right now. Yeah, but aren't technically aren't you prioritizing and executing given how many tasks that may be more important than the, the PTSDs and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Not to say they're unimportant. I'm just saying, know, aren't There's you? There's a lot of souls that could be touched by that rock and roll mm-hmm. music. You make a good point. <laughs> you make a good All point. All right, check before I get way ahead of myself. <laughs> yes, sir. Next question. Next question. Hello, Jocko Echo. Dave. Been listening to the show and reading your books for four years now. Since since then, I've started jujitsu, spent COVID surfing in San Diego, and raised a venture raised venture capital for my own business. I've been thinking about how many projects Jocko has going on. Origin National Front, three podcasts, give or take. Um, Victory MMA. As I'm working my butt off on my first multi-team business, I'm wondering how do you run so many teams and projects? Is it that you choose energizing projects and build great teams to support you any thoughts on hiring appreciate you guys yep um so this is the question i get asked quite often and it's i hate to say it but it's a softball it's a softball of a question how do we run origin echelon front jocko fuel victory mma podcast jocko publishing how are we doing all this? Well, cover, move, simple, prioritize, and execute, decentralized command. Taking ownership, taking extreme ownership, balancing the economy of leadership. So all the, the, the way that we do this is we actually operate under the principles that I talk about in all of my books. Discipline equals freedom. That, that's all it is. There's no big secret. I don't have some other you know, personal journal that I keep of how I really get things done. Mm. No. Cover, move, simple, prioritize, and execute, decentralized command. By the way, you can throw family in there too because I got a wife and four kids and there's things that need to take place there. I got a house. I got a few houses. There's What about those? Mm-hmm. Who's running that? So there's all kinds of things going on. How do we do it? Cover, move, simple, prioritize, and execute, decentralized command. So that's number one. Number two, uh, when he's talked about choosing energizing projects, well, that would go back to what we just talked about. If all I did was choose an energizing project, how long is a project energizing for? It's really energizing at first when you first think of it, you're all fired up. But then you realize there's a lot of work to be done. So just energizing project isn't gonna run, isn't gonna make it happen. What you actually have to do is, and I've talked about this before, find the opportunities Take iterative steps to see if that opportunity is a good opportunity. If you get positive feedback, put more resources behind it. If you get more positive feedback, get more resources behind it. If you get negative feedback, adjust, or maybe it's not a good idea. Maybe that was the bad idea. Echo was like, hey, Jocko, I think we should make a, you know, Jocko podcast earmuffs. Do we go, okay, let's buy an earmuff factory. Let's go ahead and invest in, a, in an earmuff designer. Let's buy all the material. Let's get $3 million worth of earmuff material. And we're gonna start, no, we don't do that. We, oh, well, I don't know, Echo. Earmuffs, I mean, I guess some people wear them. Let's see, let's see what the market's like. So what do we do? do we, we don't even make one. We post a picture of a set of earmuffs and say, who wants some Jocko podcast earmuffs for the winter time. Mm. You know how many people say yes? Three. My mom, Dave's mom. Dave's mom, for sure. Yeah. 
and nice. some random person in Siberia. <laughs> so, do we make earmuffs? The answer is no, we don't. Mm. We're not doing that. We invested in a website, you know, chocoearmuffs.com. Cost us $9.99. <laughs> Thanks, GoDaddy. Yeah, that's true. But that's it. We spent 10 bucks. That's it. That's all we're doing. Now, when we say, oh, we should make some supplements. We should make Jocko, Jocko white tea. Cool. Do we buy a tea factory? No. Do we make, I think I made 10,000 tins of Jocko white tea for the first run. It was sold out in a couple days. Oh, that's positive. Let's put more resources behind a Jocko fuel. So, surfaces and gaps. Looking for good areas to operate in is what you have to do. You got to recon. You got to look for the opportunities and then you put resources behind it. So that's that. And then you asked about hiring as well. I'm looking for people that are hungry and humble. I'm looking for people that are hungry and humble. Humble being their priority. If you're not humble, you're not getting hired. I'm not looking for someone that's like passive. I'm not looking for someone that's that lacks confidence. But if you don't say, yeah, you know what? I, I think I have a lot to learn in this area. If you come into me, you say to me, no, I don't have anything to learn. I'm actually the best there is at this. I'm not hiring you. So there you go. What I missed, Dave? Um, I mean, old, Dave, you're deep inside. Dude, I was going to I'll Obviously, tell you what it looks like what for looks me. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm actually connected <laughs> as... Everybody out there listening can imagine I'll get connected to anything you <laughs> offer me to get connected on. The only other thing that he does, the only thing that he he does to do this, and it's already very closely to what he said, is he gives ownership. And sometimes that's that's in like I guess a figurative sense, like he'll let me own a project, or we want to build out a department inside of Echelon Front. Jocko will let me own that project, and so I feel like I have ownership of that. There are times he actually gives me a chance to have literal ownership of something. Hey, do you want to go in on this investment with me? Hey, we think this might work. Do you want to come over here, put in some of your own time, sweat, capital, whatever, and. It's very close. Of course, it's closely connected to decentralized command. It's closely connected to the three laws as well, but. You give people ownership, literal ownership of the outcome that you're trying to create when you take this passion project and then you discover, and I agree, you do this too. Yeah, definitely do a project that you're passionate about knowing that there's gonna be a grind inside that. It's not gonna be fun at all, just work. But you give somebody ownership, which Jocko does, that's how you get through the discipline part when you're on that path down to the freedom you want for creating this, this company or this thing. Jocko gives ownership as well as any human, better than any human being I've ever known. And when he gives me that ownership, dude, I am uh, whatever you need. I'm all in. So that's the only other piece. And I think it's implied inside there. I'm just making it explicit because it's it's a philosophy we all live by and nobody understands that better. But he gives literal ownership of his projects. This thing he wanted to create, this product he wants to make, this company he wants to build, he will give you a piece of that if you want it. So don't underestimate the power of people feeling like they have ownership of what you want to create and build. And that's going to help you get through the disciplined part of the thing you're trying to make, which is awesome. Yeah, really good point. And the thing that I found very, that I, that I don't find as an obstacle at all, but I've seen people with, it creates the biggest obstacles. And that is 
you know, wanting to micromanage and wanting to maintain ownership of everything. I mean, yeah. even even from a Jocko podcast perspective, yeah. you know, like, hey, if I was to design the Jocko store website, what would it look like? Would it look like exactly the way Echo built it? No, it would be a little bit different. It wouldn't be better. It wouldn't be worse. It would just be different. Mm-hmm. So therefore, how much time and effort should I invest in something that doesn't isn't going to make a difference on the outcome instead it's like echo hey well do you do whatever you want now could echo have made like a a pink and yellow website that was just like not what I wanted at all that could have happened but instead he knows me we work together all the time we hang out what does the website look like oh it's black and red and gray oh cool that just happens to be the way I like the colors to be I never told you to make it black and red and gray not one time. No, sure. Actually, we joke about it at Echelon Front. The very first muster, Jamie had blue, like, what? what's the lighting called that shoots up on the curtains? Some kind accent of- Accent lighting. Yeah, some kind of accent lighting was blue. Mm. And like, I was like, hey, Jamie. And she was like, yeah. I was like, this whole thing is taking place. There's AV, there's huge setup, there's meals, there's all this stuff is going on. She made 1,000 decisions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, Jamie. Make those accents, make those lighting red instead of blue. And she's like, cool. That was the only thing based on she made She made more than a thousand decisions. She's making 10,000 for the first muster. You know, she's making every decision. And, and so just giving her. Now, if I tried to manage that thing, well, then I just have to shut down the podcast. I have to shut down. Jog- I have to shut down everything. Mm-hmm. So, yes, giving ownership to people. You have to get comfortable with that. And you have to get comfortable with the fact that, look, you're not gonna get someone that does everything exactly the way you want it done, but you know what? The way you want it done probably isn't all that great. And if you got someone on your team that understands you and you communicate well, then the chances are they're gonna be at a 90% solution 90% of the time. And that's a really great, that means 10% of the time you gotta do a 10% adjustment. That's a very small amount. It's actually probably 95, 95. 95% of the time you're getting a 95% solution. Mm. I mean, Dave, you and I joke because we've had one conversation where I like pushed back on something you were doing. One. How many decisions have you made in the last seven years? Yeah. You've made thousands of decisions with hundreds of different clients for everything from uh, the way you're conducting training to the price points you're doing. We're talking millions and millions of dollars. And I've only actually asked you earnest questions like three times about one thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't, it was just something you didn't, you didn't know. And I was like, oh, I, hey, make an adjustment there. And you're like, oh, cool, done. So that's what's going on. If you have the vision and you can explain that to people, and then you give them ownership, they're gonna run. That's the deal. All right, uh, anything else? No, sir. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting the cause on the underground. You know you can support a bunch of different ways. We just thank you for supporting us this way. Much appreciated on the interwebs, we're out there. I've been, I've been back a little bit back on Twitter. It's looking like it might you know, be freed up. We'll see. We'll see. Echoes at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willing. Dave's at David R. Burke. Thanks for supporting us in this domain of freedom on the underground. And until next time, this is Dave and Echo and Jocko out.